Hey everyone, I'm Elliot Jackson and welcome to Reggie Radio. This is the season finale of our first season of the podcast. We talked to so many amazing people about how they got to where they are, where they came from, and how they grew up. And even though I knew everyone I interviewed beforehand, I feel like it's just so rare to be able to sit down with someone and really understand how they think and what makes them tick. For season two, I really want to dig into the behind the scenes stuff. You know, how do you make the transition from being a racer to a team manager? Or what's it like owning a team? Or even how do you get sponsored in the first place? So I know that you guys will really enjoy it and we will be back really soon. But for the season finale, we have Troy Brosson, who is just an incredible racer, the most consistent person and one of the nicest, most humble people on the circuit. He gives us a masterclass on how to approach racing and really thinking about improvement in general. So I hope you guys like it. And without further ado, here is Troy Brosnan. Okay, Troy Brosnan, how are you? I'm good, thanks. How are you, mate? Yeah, I'm good. I'm good. So uh, what have you been up to? What have you been doing? Ah, just uh, not, I mean, not much less, to be honest. I've still been riding my bike a fair bit. Um, like we, we've not had too much lockdown here. Um, so I've still been able to like get out and about and ride and um, train a little bit. So it's been pretty fun just to kind of go for rides you know with some mates and not have to do efforts or anything like crazy you can kind of just enjoy it so um yeah it's it's been good just to kind of stay home and and ride for a bit right i know it's it's funny like i feel like when that happened everyone went back to like december you know yeah yeah like training wise it's like yeah like let's go for a two hour three hour ride like all good yeah exactly yeah and you're just like playing around with mates i've chucked like flat pedals on most of my bikes just to have a bit more fun so it's been uh it's actually been pretty interesting and a little bit eye-opening in a in a way for me as well to like you know bring back the you know the fun i always have fun riding a bike but bring back the real raw like fun of just going out for a ride and not knowing where you're going to go or whatever and just you know kind of letting it flow and letting it take you where you want to go so it's it's sick. right yeah that is so true like i feel like everyone has the off season down to such a science now that i remember when i was racing like i felt like i didn't even though the off season's so long i felt like i didn't have enough time yeah and so like you're saying now it's like oh well i have so much time to kill like throwing flats and and figure something out yeah exactly yeah yeah it's been good Awesome. Okay, so part one of the podcast is about origins. Um, we're going to go back to small Troy, smaller Troy. And, <laughs> smaller. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah, so you started riding a bike when you were two and a half years old. Was cycling in your family or, or was it just serendipity? Yeah, it was uh, mom and dad both uh, did a fair bit of road riding um tried dad was doing triathlons a bit there and mum was doing some road racing as well um back before they had me and and then uh yeah when I came came about they were you know chucking me on little bikes with trainer wheels and stuff and 
and I was hopping on bikes pretty uh, pretty early in, in on the piece and got rid of the training wheels pretty quick and then started uh, heading towards the BMX track. So, um, yeah, it was, it was not much. Like mum and dad obviously hadn't done any BMX, but they thought that was a great place for me to start and, and kind of meet some new friends and, and uh, you know, ride with some people. And then it's kind of, yeah, progressed from there. But it's pretty awesome to kind of have uh, – you know, both parents that ride and they, and they both ride road bikes now. And I'm, you know, constantly riding with them out on the road and can, uh, you know, enjoy just going out, you know, two or three times a week and just riding with them. So it's pretty awesome. That is super cool. Um, did they ever push you to try to get into road? Uh, not really. They kind of let me go, uh, you know, the direction that I was having most fun at and, um, I think, you know, when, when I was growing up doing BMX, I started, uh, like, I guess getting these, you know, pretty good skills on a, on a BMX bike and they saw potential in that and, uh, kind of didn't even think about road at that stage. Cause, um, you know, with the, with the kind of skills that I was growing into on the BMX bike was, was going to lead to something pretty cool and maybe a little bit cooler sport than the road cycling. So, um, <laughs> Yeah, it kind of just kept growing from there. And, and I had so much fun doing BMX back in those days that uh, they definitely didn't want to pull me kind of away um, from that. So when I did finish uh, like racing BMX, I think I was about 12-ish and I had a year off um, from kind of like any BMX riding and stuff. So I rode like a cross-country bike. Uh, for a fair bit and a road bike a little bit and I kind of enjoyed the cross-country bike a lot more being you know being out on the dirt and and on the trails and um, from there it led into downhill so I think uh, if the road was going to go off it was going to go off in that year and it and it definitely didn't happen so I'm pretty glad it uh, went the the mountain bike route that's for sure all right yeah were you pretty serious about BMX did you ever think about going pro or anything yeah, like I, what did I get? I got a seven, no, yeah, seventh in Australia when I was eight years old or something. Um, never really like got state champion or anything because it was like the top of the class riders were in SA as well. So that was always a task. Um, and I was on some teams. I was, I was on a team with Sam Willoughby and um, Anthony Dean and stuff that, you know, have been racing and been world champions uh, since since now for BMX. And I always thought, you know, I had a had potential in it, but I kind of just uh, fell out of love with the sport, you know, like it got too serious and I felt like BMX was a, a very, like, I don't know how to explain it, like opinion, opinionated and, and very, like, battling because you're racing against one another as a bit of that bitter you know, battling rivalries going on and I just wasn't having fun anymore. So that kind of drew that to a close. Um, also my, my height, uh, as a smaller <laughs> rider <laughs> drew it to a close cause I kept getting bullied around on the track and, and pushed out of corners and stuff. So, um, had to, had to go looking for a new sport that I could ride on my own and not get pushed around. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Wow. That's crazy. So I wonder, like hearing you say that it um makes i'm kind of like putting some puzzle pieces together about the way you ride on a downhill bike like you bring so much bmx influence into the downhill bike yeah yeah for sure it's uh definitely uh a lot in my 
riding nature to to pump a lot and generate speed from not much and um i guess being being smooth as i am as well it kind of creates that from bmx where if you case a jump on a on a bmx bike at the bmx track you're going to know about it your ankles are going to flex in the wrong ways and and not be too fun so um yeah it's kind of cool to to bring that um maybe not like raw motocross speed but the the whole being smooth and and uh you know kind of looking like you're going slow but um going faster you know real fast at the same time and um i've had like so many comments about that on rebel tv like people saying i'm going to be way off the pace and then somehow i'm you know a second or two up and they just don't understand it i think rob's probably and probably yourself's mentioned it a couple times but um yeah it's kind of cool to bring you know one sport into another and and really excel from it yeah it is it's super super cool so do you do you think that's one of the things that's helped you succeed yeah definitely it's uh I think uh, if I hadn't have done BMX and, and stuck with road, I probably wouldn't have half the skills that I've got now on a bike. So um, it's uh, definitely, you know, when I go back to a BMX track now and I ride my 26-inch hardtail, I can still find, like, the rhythm and, and you know, pump jumps or manual jumps and, and get a race aligned. And um, I actually use that a fair bit with training and stuff and going out and, and trying to race against the the BMX guys on their little 20 inches and just keeps it fun. So it's kind of cool to, uh, you know, have that work out in my downhill racing and then still be able to, you know, go out and, and do some training and racing um, now these days on my mountain bike. Yeah, totally. Yeah, so you guys are so far away in Australia and you left school to race overseas for six months. When was that and what was that about? Yeah, that was uh that was a pretty big commitment uh from my side I guess. Like I I was ending um my third to last year of school, so I had my two most important years of school left in front of me and also had this contract from um Monster Specialized team at the time in front of me as well. So it was kind of uh Oh, that's the doorbell. Troy is currently grabbing a super important package <laughs> i'm not sure what it is all righty i knew that was gonna happen eh? i just knew it i was like come on when i heard the doorbell i was like i knew that was gonna happen <laughs> okay so you were talking about your decision to go overseas and you just had a contract for monster energy specialized yeah yeah so it was uh it was a tough one you know i was i was heading into my last two years, uh, most important years of school where you kind of had the most tests and um, to pass it and whatnot. And it was kind of that, or I had a contract from, you know, my team at the time or the team at the time, Monster Energy Specialized to, to go racing and, and pretty much fulfill my dream of going overseas and racing. Um, at this point, like I've, I've done really well at national races, won series, won national champs um, a few times. And, and kind of like sat down with mum and dad and the principal of the school and um, kind of discussed it all. And pretty much, you know, the principal went against probably every other principal at, at every other school in the world and said, you know what, you've got like one shot at, you know, trying to be a professional bike rider and school's always going to be here in some form. So go do it, give it a shot. And that was kind of uh, the stepping point to, to commit and um, sign the contract for the team and 
um, yeah, I headed over overseas at the young age of 16 to go hang out with a, a few older dudes that I had no idea who they kind of were. <laughs> so <laughs> yeah, for six months as well. So it was, it was definitely a, a testing time. I think uh, more testing for my mum than myself. I was excited and going to America and, and racing mountain bikes was obviously my dream and, and it was all happening. And this uh, only child, young 16-year-old leaving the nest uh, for six months going overseas would have been pretty daunting for mum and dad. So, um, yeah, it was kind of uh, – it got to a point, I think, two or three months in where mum actually couldn't handle it anymore and she ended up coming over to Austria, I think it was, for, for a World Cup to watch. So, um, yeah, she, she got to come over and watch a World Cup and, and enjoy it a little bit and then they both came over for World Champs at the end of the year. So – that was pretty exciting. Oh, that's so cool. Yeah, because I think you were probably one of the the first juniors to really get picked up by a team, um, like a really big team, and go and do the full circuit. Uh, what was it like kind of charting that path? Yeah, it was um, Yeah, it was interesting. You know, like I'd never really like – I think this the whole time you I've been in the moment of you know a year or the the racing you know I was so wrapped up at it and now that I'm getting a bit older I'm starting to look back at things and go wow that was pretty cool and um I remember just like meeting Sam Hill and Brendan and and the whole team um in 2009 the year before I did the full season in 2010 and just like he was my idol, you know, like I was just looked up to Sam so much, watched all his videos. And then next minute where I'm like chatting to him and then we go on riding and Whistler. And then, you know, the end of the year, there's a contract to be on the same team as him. Like it all happened so fast and, and it was crazy to then go from that to, you know, racing world cups as a junior and having Sam and Brendan as my like mentors, it was like, I don't think I could, could believe it. I like, honestly, those two junior years were like a dream to like, it was just insane. So, um, it, it just kind of flowed. Like I just went overseas, did my racing, you know, joined in with their training, learned a lot. And, um, and I think that's kind of what helped me like progress and, and start to, you know, get faster. I was following Sam and Brendan every practice run and, and really like, like my speed was coming up to me so much quicker in that year than any other year prior being at home. And it kind of led to some really good results that, you know, I can't ever be, you know, thankful enough to to Sam, Brendan and the team for really like signing me. So it's a, uh, you know, an opportunity that arose and I'm glad that it happened because, you know, it's, it's so hard when you see some riders that have so much potentials, but, they don't get on the right team that they gel with and then they kind of, you know, don't have the great year and then it's really hard to make a, a, you know, a name for yourself once you hit elite. So, um, yeah, it was tough. Definitely. What was your mindset like in those days? Were you kind of just taking it all in, just like a cool experience? Were you taking it super seriously, trying to learn everything you could? What did you really think about it? Yeah, I think, um, you know, I was taking it like – fairly seriously but um I would say like nowhere near the level that I'm at now um there's you know I kind of dedicate my whole life and and everything I do every day is kind of towards um racing you know mountain bikes back then it was kind of still having a bit of fun and 
I was only, you know, I was 16, so I hadn't even really been in the gym. And then I was kind of trying to get used to the, the whole gym aspect and, and training and um, even like warming up at the top of a race run like that. That was confusing to me at the time. And obviously being with Sam Hill, he wasn't uh, one to warm up at the top too much. So, yeah, it was just, uh, it was a lot of fun hanging out with those two. And, you know, obviously Brendan's the biggest goofball everyone knows on the circuit. So, there was always a laugh going around with Brendog and um, as much as it was a fun time and, and, uh, and going over there and stuff, I think I was learning so much, but not realizing it at the same time. And I think that kind of kept my head like on a pretty good level. Cause you know, I was, I was doing pretty well. And um, I think it's pretty easy for a junior to, once they start doing really well to get a bit of a big head and, and kind of, not know that they have that so um yeah it's kind of just a I don't know it's it's so hard to think back and and be like oh man like I did this and that and and now like man I'm feeling I'm feeling old because that was like over 10 years ago which is just sounds crazy you know I feel like I've been one of the youngest riders for ages and now you know I'm getting what am I 26 or 7 and uh it's kind of like getting to the point where the younger kids are starting to be me. So I'm like, man, I'm, I'm in Sam Hill's shoes when I was a junior and it's starting to like, I'm like, man, I've got to get a boogie on it. I need to start winning some <laughs> world championships and stuff. So, <laughs> yeah. You say that. Um, well, actually two things. The, the funniest thing you say that the, you were talking about warming up. And I remember when I first started racing, I was like, there's no way I'm going to warm up. That's just tiring myself out. Like so <laughs> stupid. <laughs> yeah. So yeah, like you've had a, a good junior careers, like an understatement. I remember in Val Soleil, you got a podium there. What was that like to get a podium when you're still a junior? And yeah. Elite? Yeah. It's like, like friggin' chills just ran through my body. Just in just thinking about that moment. <laughs> but um, yeah, it was, it was wild, dude. Like, Honestly, I had the, it was, it was probably one of the most difficult races I've had to date, like from practice feeling really good, like just going so fast on the track, didn't feel like I could put, you know, a tire in the wrong place. It just was, you know, just amazing to qualifying fourth and then instantly shitting myself, like. (laughs) fully just switching going holy shit I just qualified fourth as a junior in elite like because back then you know there wasn't a junior class as such like we would race the elite men and have to qualify with them um so it wasn't a separate category and uh you know that meant I was fourth to last um off and and I I think the best I qualified before that was I don't know maybe a, a top 10 maybe so it was a pretty big deal for me and, and a chance to get on the podium as a junior. And um, so race day comes along and I go up, do a couple practice runs. Everything feels really good still. And then straight away I had like stomach pains, couldn't eat anything. <laughs> like I think I did like easily five like poos that, that day just like – emptying my body of just nervous energy like I was dehydrated um 
went back and like slept for an hour because we had such a long period from practice to qualifying. Like it was, it was rough, man. I didn't even know if I was going to race at this stage and then gather myself together, go to the top of the hill. As soon as I get to the top of the hill and I sit on the trainer, because at this stage it's 2011, we're starting to get on trainers and, and warm up properly. I sat on the trainer and instantly all that went away. Like I was in the zone. I felt fine. Like everything, I think adrenaline started going already and everything just started to really zone in. And then, yeah, just had like one of the, the best runs of my life um, and got fourth in elite. Like it was just, you know, I came down because um, Stevie Smith, I think, broke his ankle in practice in the morning. So I was third to last and I came down, crossed the line in second and I was almost cheering like I won because I knew that I was going to be on the podium no matter what. And, um, yeah, it was pretty awesome to have, you know, all, all the guys there, like even other riders were congratulating me and, and just kind of like telling me they can't believe it. And I'm just like this little kid just <laughs> yelling and just laughing and, and just being right. so stoked. So it was a cool moment for sure. Yeah, that was such an amazing. I for some reason I just remember being on the track um in practice. I don't know which day it was, but I saw you come through a couple sections and I was just like, "My god." <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I, I remember cuz we had qualifying. I think qualifying was on the Friday maybe and we had the whole Sunday to just practice and then Sunday was race and I went through the rock garden on the Saturday like so pinned and hit it and got a little bit loose and stuff. And I remember um, Justin Leov being like on the side and watching me and then getting down to the bottom. He came past the pit and he's like, dude, that was probably the sickest thing I've ever seen you going through that rock garden. But he's like, just chill out. Just like <laughs> got another day of riding because he obviously know that juniors love to blow themselves up. So he's like, just take it easy. Like – work up till tomorrow and it was uh it was a pretty cool moment to get a compliment but also be like hey chill out man you don't need to go that fast today right 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 you're actually going too fast what do you (laughs) what do you think about um about those runs i feel like as a racer you have those runs like you said that are just like so good the best runs ever are they like flashes of you, you know, you talk, hear people talking about like blacking out or could you recite the run? Like I went to the left of this rock. What do you, what kind of mindset are you in during those? Yeah. Like for me, um, like back then it used to definitely be like a, a lapse, like not a lapse, but like when I took off at the start, I don't remember like talking to myself at all at the run or, or anything like, I was, I didn't feel like I was present and, and watching myself do it. I was just so focused in the moment that everything's happening and it's not to the bottom that you kind of like come back to yourself and you see the time and you figure out where you are in the race and whatnot. It's kind of like a, not, I wouldn't call it a blackout, but it's like such a, a blurry moment because you're so focused on, on going as fast as you can. And there'll be people that are like, Oh, did you hear me yelling for you? And you're like, Dude, I didn't hear anyone yelling for me. The only thing that I felt was the, the puff of marijuana smoke that went in my face when I went through this section or something, you know, like it's, it's kind of such like a, a condensed like focus for a race run, especially when you're on such a, 
a fast run and you know that everything's working so good that you just don't even know what's kind of happening in the moment until you finish the run. Has that changed over the years for you? Yeah, I would say, um, you know, since I've started growing up more and, and doing a lot more of these, you know, pressure cooker race runs at World Cups and, and qualifying first and stuff, I start to um, be able to like tell myself when to push or attack or, you know, take it easy on this section or um, I don't think I hear crowds like you, you hear them, but you don't focus in on them. So you kind of, you know, if you go through a gnarly section and there's heaps of people yelling, you, I, I tend to hear that and go, oh shit, I need to get out of this section as fast as I can because it's too much to handle. Like you, it mm. makes you push hard because, you know, they're cheering so loud that you're like, oh shit, like, you know, I want to like get out of here quick because, you know, I want to try and focus on myself. And, um, you know, I remember at World Champs last year, um, I, was, I went through the top section, probably split one or maybe not even split one, the first few corners really, and kind of messed like just one corner up the tiniest bit. And I was like, all right, focus again, like get back into the rhythm. That was like, not you didn't lose much time at all just like get in and start attacking and then from there that's when my run kind of turned into the I can't remember much about it mm. part so it definitely um I've learned to be able to like calm myself down and and tell myself when to attack um say if there's a section where you can get a little bit loose and and really try and make up some time you know I've I've pinpointed sections before where all right at this you know, drop or something, this is where I'm going to tell myself to attack and really let off the brakes and, and try and make up some time. And, and it kind of like tends to work good for me because it kind of keeps my, my head focused forward and like not thinking about the mistake that I made at the top, you know? Right. Yeah. This is <clears throat> so interesting to me because I've always said there's a couple of people in downhill and, uh, I used to say that about Josh Bryslin and and you as well. You two have the best sense of like what time is. And so going down the track saying saying those things like okay, this section I can chill out in, this section I can push in. When you're when you're riding, can you really tell like okay, that was half a second lost there, like I can make up another half a second here? Yeah, I think um like I think the amount of riding and stuff that I've done, you know, you know, like how fast you can go and practice and you always go a little bit faster in race because you've got that like sense of urgency behind you. And you'll, if you don't hit something perfect, you're like, oh man, like, you know, I've, I've definitely lost a tiny bit of time there to what, to not other people, but yourself on what you can do, like your personal time. So I think mm. you got to relate to yourself in time, not other people, because, you know, other people might not be able to hit that corner as fast as you, even if you do stuff it up, or maybe they're going to hit that corner faster than you, no matter what, even if I get it perfect. So, um, yeah, it's kind of like a, it's, it's, it's pretty hard to know when you're going really, really fast until everything becomes easy. And that's something mm. that I've found like in the last few years is, you know, I'll get to a, like before qualifying or something and I've been struggling the day before a little bit. And then the first practice runs, not, 
you know, not amazing. Like it's, it's fast, but it's not perfect. And then the next practice run, everything will just feel easy. And you're like, you get to the bottom and, and you're like, Holy shit. That was like, that was real easy. I didn't get arm pump. I didn't, you know, push too hard and whatnot. And then you look back at your GoPro and you kind of compare your time and you're like, Oh man, I went three seconds faster. And that's when you know, or that's when I know at least that I'm on for like, you know, potentially a win at this race. And it kind of, that then gives you the confidence to then push harder and, and it all just kind of falls into place. I feel like people that have, you know, really good weekends, there's, there's two ways about it. There's either kind of, you know, everything's easy and it falls into place for you. And then, and then you do really well at the end, or you've had a big kind of not a setback, but maybe a crash or something. And then you're working up to it and you've, you've pressured yourself and you push yourself so much that you just find some raw speed on that race run that you didn't have any other practice run. And it tends to just pop out and, and you have a really good, you know, result. Right. Yeah. Yeah. Because last year you stayed so consistent, but it seemed like you were really experimenting every race. Like, does it work if I like, can I win if I push here or like push harder? I remember at Linzahide, you said something to the effect of like, when you're on the, on the hot seat, you were like, what did you guys do? Like, I thought that was a winning run (laughs) when you came down. Yeah. Last year was, uh, was was definitely a, a wild one for me. Like I, I felt really good on the bike. We had the bike dialed um, myself as well. And uh, yeah, there was like races, light lens of hide where I was like, all right, the track's drying out, you know, to go fast, like push really hard. And I did and felt really good. And I come down and I'm, you know, a few seconds off and, and got fourth or fifth that, that day. So I was kind of like, how do you, go that much faster and then you look back at their runs and you're like okay they were on that it was easy run and I was on the like still trying to like make it happen run kind of thing and it just wasn't flowing as much as they were and um you'll have other days where you know you kind of you you do a race run and you're like ah man you know that was that was whatever and then you your time's just like really really good and you kind of you confuse and I guess the the consistency factor for me this year was was really good but at the same time I was trying to push really hard in practice and ended up having like I would say a lot more crashes um, like practice crashes this year pushing the limit than I have any other year previous and you know I hit my knee that little bit on that one race in Andorra and um, crashed again in practice you know the weekend after in Leger and it kind of it was me like really telling myself, all right, you need to push in practice and figure out what the limit is. So then you know what to ride in race. And I think that's what really helped me be consistent and, and mm-hmm. know where the limit was like, yeah, I didn't win a race last year, but I was damn close in a, in a lot of races there. So, right. you know, I want to, I want to be able to be consistent and, and win at the same time. Like that's kind of my goal moving forward. Yeah, right. Do you have any tools uh, that you use to to make that switch from, you know, it's hard or I'm really having to push to it's easy? Like any any cues that you tell yourself? Um, I kind of, I bounce off my mechanic, Aaron, uh, a lot because obviously, you know, he lives 10 minutes up the road from me here in Adelaide, Australia. And um, 
you know, we spend a lot of time together riding and, and just messing around here at home. So um, we're really close bonded and, and I bounce off of him on how I'm feeling and how the bike's going and, and what I'm doing on track. And the, the kind of the cues that we get from each other is when, you know, I've gone from trying to set up my suspension and, and whatnot and, and kind of like make big changes that way to, you know, that's when I'm trying to look for some time and whatnot to like, Oh, my, my brake lever is like a millimeter, you know, off. Can you just adjust this thing a little bit? And he's like, dude, you're not going to notice it. And then that's when we kind of like click and be like, all right, if everything's perfect on track and I'm not asking for like any big changes and I'm asking to move a tiny little brake lever, like a mill, then it's like, all right, we're on for a good one. You know, there's, there's, there's so many little cues like that, that, you know, that pop up and, and kind of get us, um, you know, on a, on a really good high. And there'll be so many times in practice, like especially before race run, I've done practice qualifying practice again. And I've come down on my last practice run, um, before race run and I'll just like do the sickest run ever. Everything will feel good. I roll into the pits, drop the bike off and I'm like, that's it. And I'll just like give him a high five and knuckles. And then he knows it's like on, he's like, it's, you know, it's kind of like, it's almost like a vibe as well. When you, when you get it from each other, you start creating confidence and that puts it into my race run. And um, I don't know, it's hard to like really explain every cue, but there's just like little things like that, that, that can just make your day and, and get you ready to be relaxed and, and ready to go as fast as you can for the race. Yeah, totally. I have a huge smile on my face here. You talk about that. <laughs> yeah. Um, how did that make, or how did that relationship with Aaron develop? How did that come about? Um, yeah, it was back. Uh, well, I guess previous to to even racing overseas, I used to ride um, with one of his like relatives a fair bit and. Um, we would ride together a lot and I'd kind of ride with Aaron a little bit here and there, but we weren't like, a in the same sort of friend groups, um, as such. So I kind of knew of him, but, and he knew of me, but we weren't really like, you know, good friends and we wouldn't go catch up for a, a drink or, or, a you know, I know an orange juice back in those days cause I was too young <laughs> for beer. So, uh, um, yeah, ended up getting to the end of 2014 and, um, my current, uh, mechanic at the time was kind of just, you know, wanted to change a little bit, didn't want to keep doing the mechanicing job. So I was left, you know, without a mechanic for a little bit there and, um, worked with specialized at the time to, kind of look forward to a mechanic and we didn't really have any ideas. And then, you know, he had been working at a bike shop for a long time and I knew that. So honestly, like I hit up, I hit up his relative and I was like, yo, what's, what's the deal? Like, what's he doing? Is he still working at the workshop? I know he's, you know, around my age and, and young and a pretty good mechanic. And he's like, yo, yeah, he's, he's, uh, still like the, not the head mechanic, but like a high up mechanic there at the bike shop, like give him a ring. Here's his number. And I just like called him and I'm like, Hey man, how's it going? And he's like, yeah, good. Like a bit confused. Like why is Troy <laughs> ringing me? And at this stage, obviously, you know, I got my first world cup win. So I was not, I don't know how you explain it. Like 
Yeah, you was, were a big deal. <laughs> <laughs> okay, I'll let you say that. I don't like, you know, say I don't know. I was I was kind of a, a medium deal at that stage. And um yeah, he's he's like, Yeah, what's going on? I was like, Hey, do you want to be my mechanic for next year? Like on the World Cup circuit? And he's like, uh like pause for a long time, like kind of like I don't know. <laughs> so he, he, I was like, look, I'm just like hitting you up. Let me know in the next two days. Like, I need to know sooner than later because um, we need to get things happening and there's a race in like two or three months, right? And so he's he's like, yeah, no worries. I'll give you a call back in a couple of days. I was like, yeah, just take your time, talk to your miso, like talk to your mum and dad and obviously your work and see what happens. And he called me back that night, like would have been – matter of six hours and he's like yeah I'm doing it like he was so keen so excited um and then from there yeah I just got him to come over and and check out the bike and and obviously he took it and and um you know did a bit of race prep on it and stuff and went and did a I guess a trial year that Specialized gave him um the first year in 2015 we had a really good season again and and then it just kept rolling from there and now it's been a amazing partnership and one of the I guess the most well-known and, and maybe not the longest, but um, you know, the great rider mechanic partnership that hopefully will go on to the end of my career and, and his career, I guess, however, however long that may be. Right. Yeah. That's so, I mean, it seems like that consistency. So there's this stat that you haven't been outside the top three in the overall world, world cup standings from like 2014 onward. And that's just crazy. Consistency in downhill is something that I think goes underappreciated because it's such a such a hard sport to to be consistent at. Even you look at Aaron or Greg or any of the greats and they have never been as consistent as you have. So, where does that come from? Honestly, I, I couldn't tell you. <laughs> I got I got no <laughs> idea where that comes from. Um I I don't know. I think like obviously a part of it is the mechanics that I've had and and Aaron just being really reliable on the bike that I ride and and obviously um the work that he does doesn't you know falter or something in in a uh in a race situation I guess. So I got to be thankful for that um firstly and then I guess my riding style being smooth and kind of calculated um, would help a fair bit. Like I, I do take risks here and there, but obviously not as much as, um, you know, some other riders do and have done in the past. And um, maybe that's the reason why I haven't got as many wins as I could have potentially. Um, but then I might not have been, you know, in the top three for, for the last six years. So um I also really like pride myself on trying to do, you know, fast. I don't want to just do like one fast practice run and then the other one be slow. Like I like to treat every practice run kind of at the same speed and, and really get comfortable being at that high level of speed. So when you come to the race run, it's not daunting on how fast you're actually going and, and coming into sections. So I think that might play a, a little part in it as well. Yeah, because you're one of the riders who treats time training like a you take it really seriously. Is that how you treat all runs? Like when you're training at home, do you do you ride at like World Cup pace? 
Yeah, I'd say um, at home, like I, I definitely have a lot of runs that are, you know, over the ninety percent. Say maybe not, maybe not that hundred percent that a race run would be, because um, you don't want to get injured just you know practicing at home. But when say we're testing, we'll go out for a day and do maybe ten runs. Um, on a track that is two to three minutes long um, and every single one of those runs maybe the first run will be a couple seconds down but every other run will be within maybe let's say one to two seconds max which um, you know say if my my fastest run on that day is is a one minute or a two minute flat then the other runs will be a, a 201 or a 202 max so um I don't like to have too much inconsistency, um, obviously with speed because things change a lot on your bike with suspension or tire pressure or anything like that with the amount of speed that you're actually hitting stuff. So, um, yeah, I guess that's, that's helped me to, to get to the right speed and, and stay there and be consistent, um, throughout, I guess the last six years really. Yeah, because what do you think about when people are say like, oh, if Troy took more risks, then he would win or does it does it work like that? Like, could you just take more risk? I mean, like, yes and no. Obviously, yeah, I could. And there's been a lot of times where I've thought, man, I wish I just like went that little bit faster and took the risk and and maybe I would have got first instead of second or third or whatever. And um, at the time, it's you know, well, thinking back on it, like you'd be like, yes, I should have took a risk. But at the time mm. you're kind of in it and you're, you're going as fast as you can anyway. So, um, I, I don't know. It's a tough one. Like I know a lot of people do say that to me and I'm like, yeah, I like want to take more risks. And I think like this year and even last year, like I had, I've found the formula that might work for me where taking the risks in practice and knowing where the limit is on the track will then help me kind of not have to take the over the over the line limit, you know, risk in in race run and and help me towards a really consistent and potentially fast enough to win kind of racing that way. So I don't know. I'm still still working on it as we all are, trying to find the the, yeah. <laughs> the way to win. But um yeah, I think if I just went out there and, and tried to risk absolutely everything in a race run, there'd be a, a pretty good chance that I might be on the ground. So I don't uh, I don't write, like rolling around on the ground too much. So we'll try and <laughs> keep that one uh, under wraps. <laughs> right. Yeah. I mean, I, I love that idea of, of taking the risk in practice and finding the limit. And even like you said, like maybe going over the limit a bit in practice and then knowing exactly where you're at in the race yeah yeah you know you moved to canyon and fabian burrell is kind of known as a big big bike guy like lots of testing lots of structure and things like that was that a big big change and have you guys has you have you liked doing all the testing yeah to be honest like it's it's been really really good um moving to Canyon and having Fabian as, you know, our right-hand man to, to guide us through obviously R and D testing, um, even my race craft and, and also I would say the most importantly, my mental side of, of racing as well. He's, he's always been massive into that 
And I think that's the biggest thing that's helped me. But going to, say, testing and, and racing, um, you know, R&D, it's been a massive eye-opener to see his train of thought on how he tests and, and how he kind of goes about getting the fastest way. Um, and obviously, back in the day, he was probably one of the biggest risk takers there was. <laughs> <laughs> he wasn't scared to throw it in and, and just see what happens. So, um, yeah, like even even he would say like he wasn't the the fastest rider there on the on the weekend, but he take took the most risks and won the race. And um, that's something that I've learned a little bit from him. And it's kind of been good having his extreme and then my more conservative extreme and bringing them together. And I think that's where we're starting to, you know, gel really well and, and find the right, I don't know, algorithm for, for what I need to race fast. And um, it's exciting times. Like the, the amount of testing that we do, like these days to, you know, a few years ago is, is crazy. And I'm sure I know Aaron, my mechanic is, is definitely over driving me up and down the hill so many times <laughs> and doing so much testing, but um, I guess it all, all pays off when we come to a race and we do really well and, and we're so consistent. So yeah, it's uh it's definitely a lot harder, I guess, with the amount of testing and stuff that we're doing. But at the same time, it's just like, it's just good to know when you rock up at the first world cup or, or, you know, a couple races in that you've had a big break that, you know, you're going to be on pace and, and everything's fast because you've made like drastic and, and big and good changes in the off season that's led you there. I think the, the one thing that was really hard for me um, back in the specialized days is I would just ride and train and do so much fitness stuff at home, but not test heaps and then when I got to the first World Cup, I'd be so nervous because I didn't know where I sat in terms of everyone else riding. Like, yeah, I was riding really good and I was on pace, but I didn't know until qualifying came around and then maybe I wasn't practicing the track properly because I was too nervous and not confident and not flowing. And now I can just rock up knowing that I've gone, you know, leaps and bounds, you know, three or four seconds faster on my test track now like this year to last year and I know that I'm going to be on pace so I have no doubt at all and that ends up you know putting me on a on the podium at least for the first world cup of the season and when you get that first podium like at the first world cup it gives you a confidence to go all right I'm in this and now I'm going to push really hard to to try and win the rest and that obviously the the one thing that you would know as well as confidence is probably like, you know, the biggest thing in this sport. Once you've got it, it's, it's really hard to be beaten. Yeah. Like you're saying, you've, you've checked all the boxes. And so then, you know, last year continuing into the season, like you're still working out stuff. Uh, you tried the mixed wheel sizes at Lindsay high, then you changed back. What did you think about that? Yeah, it was, um, it was, it was interesting. Obviously, uh, we, we got to a point on, on our current bike that we had it as fast as we could go, but we were just missing out on, on winning races. You know, I was behind Lewick by point nothing of a second for, you know, a few mm -hmm. races in a row there. And, um, and even Amory at, at Fort William, I was, you know, I was two seconds off of him, but he was, I was three seconds in front of everyone else. And it was just, uh, mm -hmm. 
I felt like I was doing everything right, but not quite enough to get the win. So honestly, like we, Fabian, Aaron and myself sat down and, and I think also Gabe was there because obviously he needed to know what we were thinking and what we were going to do. And we had a discussion on should we try this mixed wheel size and see what happens. And we went home with all the parts, um, slapped it on. I started riding at home on my local track that I've done. God, I don't even want to know how many runs I've done on it. Too many, <laughs> let's just say too many. And uh, it, it felt really good. Like the, the only thing was the bars felt a little bit too high, obviously with the bigger front wheel. Um, but I felt like I could be a lot more aggressive and, I guess, plow into stuff a little bit more and, and go out of my way of the smooth riding that I was doing on the full 650 bike. Um, so we're like, screw it, let's take a chance. Like maybe this is the chance that we need to to win a race. Went to, what was it? I think the race was about a soul um, okay. that I had the, the big wheel on the front. Rocked up, was feeling pretty confident, um, dropped in for the first run. And like first corner got caught out on some stupid little route and just like just went over the bars so awkwardly and and smashed my elbow and my injured knee and kind of put a damper on things that whole weekend that um, was hopefully going to go so well. And then I just wasn't feeling confident the whole week and um, it kind of rained in qualies. That didn't help. And then it dried out for race and I think I got tenth. So um, I mean, 10th is, is amazing, but from getting on the podium every single race leading up to that, it was kind of a bit of a, a kick, I guess. Um, a, yeah, a kick for me to, to not be on the podium still. And um, looking back at it, yeah, we probably shouldn't have gone for the, the big wheel, but I think the crash at the start of the weekend didn't help things. And um, the weekend after we swapped back to the full 650 and then I got a podium again straight away and I felt way more confident and, and comfortable on that setup, I guess, cause we've done so much time and, and R and D on it that it was just the setup to be on. And, uh, yeah, I guess I'm not, I'm not like upset or regretting the fact that we tried because if you don't try, you don't know. So, um, maybe the overall, I could have been in it a little bit more at the end there with Amory and Lewick. Um, if I didn't mess up that race at Valdesol, but at the same time, I'm, I'm pretty happy we tried and, and learned some things and, and learned that obviously that was the, not the way to go. And even to have the confidence to be like, all right, let's swallow our, our pride a little bit here. It didn't work. Let's go back to the, uh, the old setup and and make that work and that's what we did and and then ended up you know nearly winning world champs and getting pipped by that damn french guy one more time <laughs> <laughs> oh my god i know he's yeah. he i feel like everyone like both of you guys were on fire last year it was good to watch yeah there was there was so many races where like it was it wasn't just like one guy going so fast, it was like three to four guys going retardedly fast. And it was just like, I've, I wasn't, I don't even think I've watched like many replays, but of the whole race, but just being in the race together, I was like so amped on how the story was unfolding. And I think like even people have like in 10 years time, aren't going to see a season that was so 
hectic, <laughs> I guess, <laughs> like that. You know, it's just it was just such a crazy season, and I I guess I'm I'm super grateful and and happy to be you know a bit of a part of it. You know, holding the number one plate for a couple of races there, and then uh, yeah, getting getting third overall. Yeah, that was it. Was like watching on the sidelines. It was super crazy for the whole time I've been racing. Definitely the best season I have seen. Okay, so I want to ask some off the bike questions now. Mm-hmm. And uh, so, yeah, I, I saw you recently got engaged. <laughs> Congratulations! Oh, <geez>. <laughs> 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 Thank you. That's yeah. Awesome. yeah, yeah, that's so cool. How has it been spending some time at home and? And doing this whole thing while uh you know being in quarantine i guess yeah it's been pretty cool um obviously you know being at home and, and spending time with emma and um getting getting engaged before all this uh quarantine stuff happened was was cool and then it's good because it's given us more time to kind of think about you know the wedding and and when that's going to be which will be a few years yet so um yeah it's been cool although I would say now that I've been home for so long and um, in the house so much that she's, uh, I'm definitely annoying her a lot more than I would <laughs> previously. So she's probably thinking at this point in time, like, man, I wish there was just like at least a week of racing somewhere that she could just get rid of me, have peace and quiet for a week. And then I can come back and be my loud, you know, happy yelling self. And I'm always chasing the dogs around the house and, and just, I think I'm just nonstop. Like I must have a partial bit of energy stored away at all times because even I catch myself sometimes like running around the house, chasing the dogs and and yelling and being loud. And I'm like, man, I'd be annoying to live with. Right. (laughs) (laughs) So what do you do when you're not riding? Um, If I'm not riding, like say, so if I'm not riding a motocross bike or, or a bike in general, um, I've actually been doing a little bit of surfing um, lately, which has been pretty fun. And it's kind of cool because I'm really not good at it. Like I can kind of stand up and turn. I mean, if you can call turning to crashing a turn, then I'm, I'm turning a little bit. But um, just trying to learn and, and just being in the water has been pretty cool and having more time to do that as well. Um, has been pretty awesome. And I think like everyone else in, in Australia, I'm not sure about the world, but just so much yard work and backyard work and, and getting the house, like not renoed, but kind of like doing things that you've always wanted to do. And, um, you just haven't had time. So now that I've got time to do it, it's, you know, I'm redoing the front yard and, and trying to make the grass look as good as it, good as it can and stuff. So, <laughs> Um, yeah, I wouldn't, I wouldn't say I'm bored at all, but I'm definitely, uh, doing a lot, a lot more different things than just riding and training and, and resting, you know, when, when normally I'm resting and recovering in the middle of the day, um, in between training sessions, I'm like out in the yard, digging up stuff, like moving trees, planting stuff, like mowing the lawn, like there's just, there's so much more, like I've been more tired than I've ever been. Cause I just have less care of recovery at the moment totally yeah have you had some time to think about like what would you do if you weren't racing bikes as a career 
oh, I don't even want to think about that. Like I, <laughs> I don't know anything else that I could do. Like um, I guess my dream would to be like to try and get into the, the fire service. My dad's a firefighter. So um, I've seen how, how awesome the job is and their work schedule is like, kind of like four days on four days off technically. So there's a lot, he has a lot of time to be able to ride his bike still. So for me, that would be the ultimate like retire from racing and become a firefighter job. But, um, I don't know. I'm not that handy on the tools. So I don't think a uh, carpenter or anything like that would be, uh, something that I could get into, unfortunately. Right. Yeah. We, uh, I asked Loic what he would be doing. He's like, yeah, I would be doing something with houses. I was like, so you're handy. He's like, well, no, but. <laughs> <laughs> he'll just pay people to do stuff right. and then, yeah, sell it and it'll be all good. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Oh God. Okay. I got some listener questions for you. Um, how Nathan Gaffrin says, how do you ride so light? Uh, how do I ride so light? Um, firstly, probably be, I don't know, like 65 kilos. <laughs> that might help. <laughs> um, but then I guess like setting up your suspension, like softish and, um, and just like looking ahead a little bit is always like a good way of, um, I guess like not running into stuff and, and just motoring through rock gardens or stuff like that or blowing turns. So the, the, the further you look ahead, the, the earlier you can see something coming on the track and adapt to it, you know, before you, you start just smashing through it in a way. Hmm. Oh, that's yeah. That's good advice. Um, Tosh one says, do you think break could hold a world cup? Oh, so yeah, Bright is a is where we've had national champs uh, for a lot of years um, here in Australia, and it's an amazing hill. Um, probably one of the best downhill tracks in Australia, I would say. Uh, could it hold a World Cup? Potentially, yeah. Like I think the town would be a pretty cool little town to have a World Cup in. They might need oh, there's a fair bit of accommodation there, but the track itself, like they could easily run the track that they've got now or make a brand new track. And it would, it would be amazing. Like the dirt is kind of like a, a sandy, sandy, rocky loam. Like it's really hard to explain. Like it's, it's really rough and rocky, but then when you dig down past that, it's real loose and sandy. So, um, I mean, I, I wish they could hold one and I hope (laughs) they put a bit in one day, but, um, yeah, I don't know. You have to wait and see on that one. Um, and then last one, Rob Smith says, what's your favorite trail in the world? Dang. I've had this question a little bit and it's so hard to answer. Like I love racing on world cup tracks and I love it when, you know, when we're talking about everything being so easy and and say, if I'm going, doing a rundown outdoor and everything's flowing and it's just so much fun. Like I really love tracks like that, but then you go to a place, say like Whistler and you start riding dirt merchant and a line and you're with all your buddies doing big whips and stuff. Like it's, it's such a hard like question to answer. I'd say like, honestly, if it was, if it was a, a track that I had to race on, I would probably say Andorra for just like the sheer jumps at the top and then the steepness at the bottom and 
obviously it helps that I've won a race there, but I think just the, <laughs> the steepness of the track is just like bring back memories from Champery and stuff. Um, and then a track just to ride and have fun on. I mean, it's really hard to go past dirt merchant. Let's be honest. Like you go to Whistler, oh you've got the vibe. You like, you can throw whips, you know, I can follow you doing your nasty scrubs and stuff. Like it's, it's just, I think the whole vibe of just that place and then you're, you're riding that track. It's just, it, what brings it and it brings it together and, and kind of, you know, so much fun. Yeah, that's hilarious. I remember being there. I, I spent a lot of time there too. And I would come off the lift and I'd be like, Troy, where are you going? You're like dirt merchant. Yeah. Like, <laughs> You're like, there's only one track on this hill, right? It's called dirt merchant. <laughs> <laughs> oh man. I love it. All right. Well, thank you so much for coming on. So good to talk to you. Um, yeah. So interesting. Yeah, it's been awesome. It's been, uh, you know, good. Always love chatting with you. You're so upbeat and such like a, I don't know, a great person to just have a chat with. Like whenever I see you walking through the pits, I always like to just, you know, have a quick little little yarn with you and, and just see how you're going. So um, thanks for having me on this uh, podcast and hope it all goes well. Uh, thank you so much. Likewise. Okay. Well, be well and I will see you soon. Sweet. Thank you. Troy's such a nice guy. <laughs> he said some super insightful things about, you know, finding your limit. I'm definitely going to try to use that. Um, seems like a safe way to do it. Well, I don't know. He says he crashed in practice, so maybe not. <laughs> but yeah, so I hope you guys enjoyed the podcast. Uh, like I said, we'll be back for season two. So until then, please stay safe as things reopen around the world. And I cannot wait to bring you more episodes of this podcast. Reggie Radio is produced by Brianna McShane, and we will see you soon. Bye.